Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Valley Church of the Nazarene. We are located at 228 Madison Avenue in Monte Vista, Colorado. I am Pastor Chris Yoakum, and I am so glad you have tuned in to listen to this message. I would also love to invite you to join us on Sunday morning for our small group discipleship classes starting at 9 a.m. for all ages, and our worship service starting at 10.15 a.m. We have many other activities and Bible studies throughout the week. Please visit our website at valleynaz.com and our Facebook page for more information. Our prayer is that you encounter the God of the Bible and come to know the joy of salvation through Jesus Christ, that you be equipped to engage the world for Christ. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 11. If you don't have your copy of God's Word this morning, either electronically or your Bible with you, there's Bibles in the pews that are available. Daniel chapter 11, we're going to start with verse 36. Start with verse 36 and read down verse 45. We believe in the inerrancy and fallibility of God's Word, the authority of Scripture. We do well to to pay attention. May God give us ears to hear, hearts that are open, minds to understand. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed, for what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers, nor for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, he will honor a god of fortresses, a god unknown to his fathers. He will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign god and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price." At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle, and the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. He will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. Escape. He will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt with the Libyans and Nubians in submission." But reports from the east and the north will alarm him, and he will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain, yet he will come to to his end, and no one will help him. Father, we're thankful for your word. And Lord, even as we engage in this study of a very challenging portion of Scripture, would you attend with us? And I pray you'd help us to gain a greater understanding and to be prepared for, for what is coming. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, as we come to this portion of Scripture, um, we are moving away from what is uh, historically verifiable. Uh, to a certain degree, some of these verses do have a, a historic connection with, happen, with what happened with Antioch's Epiphanies, um, but some of it does not. And so there is some debate on these issues 
of how much of it does apply to what has happened historically, what it, what, how much of it does apply to future events. And so we're going to do the best we can. But again, these are, are challenging, challenging scriptures. But they're important because we want to be able to be aware and be watching. Um, we know that Paul talks about the fact that eventually the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist will be revealed. Um, but he's only going to be revealed to those who are watching, right? The rest of the world is going to think very, something very, very differently about him. But those who are paying attention, who know God's Word, uh, we're, going to, we're going to know and be able to identify uh, this one. And that's why we study these Scriptures. And so we will do the, the best that we can look at them. Today we're only going to look at verse 36, um, and hopefully we can get through that, and uh, then we will continue to, to look at this in the coming, coming weeks. But I've entitled this message, The, uh, the Revealing. And I want us to see that um, the revealing is going to, to happen as, um, as, as prophecy draws uh, nearer and nearer. Um, there's going to be a, a greater understanding of what is, has been very challenging, always been very challenging for everyone who read the Bible, but it's going to become more and more clear. And as events begin, I, I think I've used the analogy of a lock and a key. You know, you've got a lock and a key, and, and uh, when you, the right key goes, goes in there and it, it hits, you know, just right, it opens the door. And that's what's going to happen with biblical prophecy and the biblical timeline. And so, as we look at these, these verses, um, we know that not all of this has taken place. We know that some of it is, is future. And I've said how so much of coming up before this, we can look historically at how accurate it was. And I think that's important because then it gives us confidence that if, that if the, the prophecy has been, what has been fulfilled has been fulfilled so accurately, we can have confidence that what is still yet to be fulfilled will also be fulfilled accurately. And so that helps us give, give confidence. But I will admit that these are very challenging verses, and it's hard for us to understand. Uh, and the other analogy is with the puzzle. You know, you can try to cram the pieces together, but when you find the right piece that fits in, and as time goes on, I believe that, uh, that that will happen more and more. But it is a worthwhile effort to look into these, these things. So let's start with, the king will do as he pleases. So the idea here is that there is going to be a removal of restraint, okay? A removal of restraint. Um, we know that the only thing that restrains evil is God, and then He uses various things like laws and governments. Um, he uses the church even, us as Christians, to restrain evil. But what we see that's going to happen is that there's going to be worldwide absolute power because all restraint is going to be removed. Um, we're going to look at some, some scriptures here. There are other scriptures we could look at, but we're going to look at some of these. And so as we look at uh, a couple other places in Daniel that we've already looked at and also 2 Thessalonians and Revelation, you can kind of keep your place there because we will continue to go back and forth. But let's look, look first at Daniel chapter 7, verses 23 and 24. Um, this is, of course, uh, Daniel's vision of the four beasts, and this is talking about the fourth beast. And again, 
The fourth beast, we know can I, we can identify that as, as Rome, but also since, since that's the final one before the ultimate kingdom, which is Christ's kingdom, the, the, the Bible kind of has the idea that, that the, the, this uh, Roman kingdom continues on until the end in some form. And then the final one, it seems as though it's almost like going to be a, um, a combination of all that have come before are all going to be wrapped up in this final kingdom. But it, still, there's an identification with, with Rome. But it says this, he gave me this explanation, the fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth trampling it down and crushing it. And so you get the sense of it's, it is a worldwide, worldwide uh, dominion, a worldwide dominion. Now, we, we saw this a little bit with Nebuchadnezzar and the uh, Babylonian Empire. It was, it was, you know, it stretched far and wide. But remember that there was still restraint, even on Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Remember, God turned him into an animal in order to restrain him. You remember? Um, so there was still restraint at that point, even though God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dominion over uh, what was essentially the whole earth, yet there was still restraint upon Nebuchadnezzar in the form of Daniel and then God's direct intervention. Uh, Daniel chapter 8, 9 through 10, this is again, this is talking about um, the, the Greek empire, which was the third empire, but again, a type of the Antichrist. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to, to the earth and trampled on them. And so the idea, again, is it, it is growing, uh, it grows wide even, to the, even to, to the heavens. In other words, that's a picture of unrestrained growth. It grows all the way up in, into heaven. And so this idea of, of a worldwide dominion. And then now turn with me over to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So, of course, Paul's depiction of the Antichrist, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Um, the idea there that, that Paul gives us is that there will be, there, it will be a man of lawlessness. Um, it's not necessarily that he just, you know, doesn't obey the laws, but there, there will be no law against that he will, that he will, uh, honor. He's going to be completely lawless. He will have no restraining force. You know, even as, you know, we look at our nation and, um, you know, the, I guess the potential is there for totalitarianism. However, we do have our, a constitution and we have courts and laws that are a restraining force. But here you have somebody who, for whom there is, there is no law to restrain him. It is a, a worldwide, the restraint is gone. Revelation 13, 7 Revelation 13, 7, he was given power to make war against the saints and conquer them, and he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Um, so again, a worldwide dominion. And so one of the things we, we need to look for when we are trying to identify the Antichrist is somebody that has, where there is no, no viable opposition. You've heard the term 
uh, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Which is true. And so this is going to be the most corrupt person because there will be no restraint. There will be no outside factors, no nations. And we know Revelation talks about the fact that all authority, all earthly authority will be handed over to this one. God is going to remove his restraint, and there's going to be nothing to restrain this evil person. We know even with Adolf Hitler and different uh, leaders that we've had, there has still been other nations who restrain them. We fought world war, world wars in order to, to stop them. But this individual is going to, it's going to be worldwide absolute power. Now, you, th- you have to think about and reason, how is that going to happen, you know? Well, as we see things, um, as we see things happen that, that are more toward globalism, as we see things that are worldwide, you can see how when there's, when there's worldwide crisis, um, it opens the door for somebody to come along and offer a worldwide solution. Um, matter of fact, there are many people who believe that next year um, we need to have a reset. They believe the, the, the virus and the pandemic has given us an opportunity for a reset. But the way that they would like to reset our economies, and everything else is definitely not in a biblical way. And so we need to be watching for that. As, as things become more, more global, as uh, we pe- see people who want to preach globalism, um, just watch out for that because what the Bible says is going to happen is you're going to have a, a kingdom and an individual who's going to have worldwide absolute power, which should all make us, um, you know, that's a terrifying thought somebody that's definitely not godly, but actually influenced by the enemy having that kind of power. But God is going to do it for a purpose for a time. The next thing that we're going to have is worldwide absolute worship, worldwide absolute worship. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 20, Daniel chapter 7, verse 20, this is again four beasts a vision. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others, and that had an eyes and a mouth to, that spoke boastfully. Um, that idea, and we're going to see this here in a little bit uh, more clearly, but you have this, this sense in which this individual, uh, the boastful words that he's speaking is of him being God, him being God. And so we're gonna we're gonna we have um, an individual who has a very high opinion of himself, who has a satanic level of pride, and is going to try to draw all people to worship him, either through the astonishing things that are happening, through even perhaps some we're gonna look at some marvelous wonders that he's going to be doing, which are not marvelous in the sense of actually being good, but marvel in the sense that they are gonna make people marvel. Um, so he's going to, and everybody else who doesn't worship him, he will provide force. Now, we know that you can't have worldwide absolute worship unless you have worldwide absolute power. And so that those two things are going to go hand in hand. Um, and it's important for us to understand that, that what the purpose of all of this is to make the dividing line between those who truly believe in Jesus Christ and those who do not. Um, we know that, that the time is coming uh, for that. People need to make a decision now, right? But eventually, people are going to be forced to make a decision either for the true Messiah or for the false Messiah. Daniel chapter 8, verse 11, Daniel chapter 8, verse 11 says, I will set, 
it will set itself up to be as great as the prince of the host. It took away the daily sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. And you'll remember in our study of that particular passage, it actually says five times, it will set itself up to be as great. It will set itself up to be as great. It says it five times right there. And the idea there is, again, it's magnification. It's magnification. Um, the, um, so it sets itself up to be as great. In other words, this boastful sense, this taking on this godlike form. Um, in, our, in our text here in, in verse 36, uh, he will all exalt and magnify. What, what it says in the original right there is that he will exalt and greatly exalt, which is, again, this sense of, of him growing in exaltation through the things that are going to happen. So, he's going to draw many people to worship for himself, but then he's also going to take that position and then demand worship. So we see setting himself up to be as, as great. This bold, he has an eyes and mouth to speak boast, boastful words. Second Thessalonians 2 4. Second Thessalonians 2 4. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship, so that he has sets himself up in God's temple. And we'll get into that further uh, as we go through uh, the passage in the weeks to come. But again, he's going to exalt, he's going to oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God. So you see both the exaltation of himself and the opposition of anybody worshiping in any other way other than worshiping him. Um, and then Revelation 13, 8. Revelation 13, 8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. And so we see that we, we will have worldwide absolute worship. So you've got worldwide absolute power You've got worldwide absolute worship. There will be, um, you know, many people will, they're going to, you know, Revelation tells us that people are going to be astounded and astonished, and they're going to willingly do that. But then there will be a demand for worship. You remember with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, you remember that whenever the, when Nebuchadnezzar set up the image, right, and you had the large crowd that was supposed to fall down and worship when the music began. Well, you had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were just part of the crowd, right? They were just sort of in the crowd until the music began, and everybody else bowed down, and then guess what? All of a sudden, they stuck out like a sore thumb, okay? And we're going to see that that is a very critical part of the, of the revealing as we, as we look at this here. But understand, there's going to be a demand for, it, it's, it's going to be a, a, a monotheism, right? And it's going to be somebody who is, is like God incarnate, and they're going to claim to be the only God and raise themselves up over every, every God. And so, that's something to look for, keep our eyes open for. Um, you can see trends going that direction, you know, 
I think oftentimes as Christianity is watered down, then it makes it easier to join with other things that are false. And so there does seem to be this syncretism going on in our, in our time, which could be setting us up for this, right? Or the idea that all, all roads lead to God. You've heard that before. Well, that's basically what, what this is, right? Um, and you, when you have that kind of mentality, you are opening up yourself for Satan to stand up and say, you know, hey, here's the one, and to corrupt someone and use them as a, as a puppet uh, for this worldwide religion. So you have worldwide absolute worship. The next thing to watch out for, which will be a pretty amazing thing, is that we'll have counterfeit wonders, counterfeit wonders. Now, this is a challenging uh, part of this verse here. The NIV says, and he will say or speak unheard of things. Um, The NASB has, I think, um, what does it say? One of of the translators says ghastly things, perhaps, or or beastly things, or monstrous. No, the, the word is used monstrous. One of them says monstrous things. It's interesting because the Hebrew word that is used here, and I think it's used 70 times, is almost, is almost exclusively used for wonders. It's translated wonders, wonders, okay? And, and even when it's not translated wonders, it's still talking about something that God does, okay? And so, what I, what I think is being communicated here is what we're going to see in... Um, these, these uh, both in Second Thessalonians and Revelation, I believe what is being communicated here is that the this individual is going to be able to speak wonders. Um, the word unheard unheard things is translated wonders. So let's look at that. And we, I it was it was hard to find in the other two uh, passages of of Daniel uh, talking about the Antichrist. However, there I believe there are allusions to that. But but I think. The um, New Testament scriptures, let's turn to 2 Thessalonians 2.9, really make it clear. And, and I really believe that, that Paul uh, was leaning heavily upon um, Daniel when he writes what he, what he writes in 2 Thessalonians. So in 2 Thessalonians 2.9, it says that the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders um, and so the idea there, now, from a New Testament perspective, when you see miracle signs and wonders, what you have is the miracle is the word dunamis, the Greek word, and then you usually see these things together. Dunamis, the miracle, is actually the power that's on display, so the miraculous power, which is, which is God's power on display. But then you have the sign, which is exactly what you would imagine. It's a sign pointing to God, and the wonder part of it is actually what happens within a, an individual when they see that happen. So, in other words, the way it's supposed to happen is God does something, we all say, wow, what's going on over there? And then there's a sign that points to God, okay? In the, in the Old Testament, you don't see that concept. Like, it's, it's not broken down the same way it is, as it is in the New Testament. But I think the word wonders, the Hebrew word wonders here, this translated wonders, really captures that, that picture, but what's going to happen here, when you think about counterfeit wonders, it's not that they're counterfeit in the fact that they're fake, it, they're counterfeit in the sense that the sign does not point to God, okay? Now, I know that there are some scholars who don't believe that, that uh, they, could, they could be authentic miracles, but I think, I think that they probably will be. That's, that's my, my view. But they're going to be counterfeit 
in the sense that they are not, they're going to point to the Antichrist, not to God. Now, why would God allow that to happen? Uh, Paul talks about it. We're going we're to see that, that Paul talks about why God would do that. And it is, it is to, dis, it is to um, anyone who has not believed the truth and been saved, it is a way to, uh, to allow Satan to do his work in deception. It is, it is, again, it adds to his worldwide power and his worldwide worship with these counterfeit wonders. Revelation 13, 13 through 14 Revelation 13, 13 through 14, we read this, and he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. And that kind of goes along uh, the lines of what Paul says. You know, Paul's saying something very similar, that this person is going to be allowed to do these counterfeit wonders um, as a, a part of his deception. God is going to allow that. So in every way, God is, God is pulling back restraint, and he is giving tremendous amount of power and authority over to Satan, who then gives authority to the Antichrist, and all of it is an attempt to, um, to allow Satan for a time to have this unprecedented power. So when, you, when we begin to see counterfeit wonders... Um, there is the, the passage, I believe, in Daniel chapter 8 that talks about, um, it talks about, let me look here, it says that he will cause astounding devastation in verse 24. He will cause astounding devastation. The word astounding is also the same Hebrew word for wonders, which could mean Whenever Revelation talks about calling fire down from heaven, it could be that he's given the ability to, to call down fire against his enemies, right? Which, think about how difficult that would be, you know, if you see somebody with, with that kind of power and that kind of um, presence, and then he's, he's able to do these, these wonders. It is going to be very challenging for anybody to oppose this, this individual in this, uh, this kingdom uh, for sure. So worldwide absolute power, worldwide absolute worship, and counterfeit wonders, and then we have unfettered success. And this is going to be one of the challenging things for God's people is the fact that this system and this individual is going to have unfettered success. Daniel says he will be successful. He says he will be successful. We see in Daniel 7.21 kind of the same sort of idea, says that... um, as I watched, the horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them. That's going to be challenging, folks. For a period of time, we are going to appear to be on the losing side, the losing side, and that'll be very difficult. Daniel 8, 12b, it says that it prospered, speaking of this, this Antichrist, it prospered in everything it did, and the truth was thrown to the ground. Second Thessalonians two seven through twelve. Two seven through twelve, we read, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, and the Lord Jesus will overthrow 
with the breath of his mouth and the destroyed by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are, deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but delighted in wickedness. So again, this idea that all of these things come together to give all of the restraint removed, this individual is going to succeed in what he is doing. Satan is going to succeed in his deception for a period of time for God's purposes. Revelation 13, 3b through 4. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? Unfettered success. That's going to be the mentality. Well, why, why bother standing against him? There's, there's no one who can stop this individual. Um, and I think, you know, that's a challenge for us as, a, as American Christians, right? We want, to, we want to have an opportunity to fight. Um, but there will be a period of time, it seems, that... that um, as the Bible says, it's just going to call for patient endurance because God is going to allow Satan to have his day for his purposes for a time. It says, until wrath is completed, and I want us to see that this wrath is redemptive wrath, okay, which seems counterintuitive, but we have throughout Scripture the idea of wrath, and that, that word can be translated anger or insolence also, but it is, it is redemptive wrath there is a day coming, by the way, though, when there will be wrath that is not redemptive but destructive. And we, and we, have, been, we have been spared through Jesus Christ. We will not face that wrath. But there is wrath that we will face. I'm going to read a short passage out of, of the Maccabees. This is, I read a long por- portion last Sunday talking about the account. Well, I'm going to read what this individual wrote. This is after the account. This is after... Um, Antiochus Epiphanes does what he, he does. Um, this is in uh, 2 Maccabees chapter 6, verse 12 through 17. It says, Now I urge those who read this book not to be depressed by such calamities, but to recognize that these punishments were designed not to destroy, but to discipline our people. In fact, it is a sign of great kindness not to let the the impious alone for long, but to punish them immediately. For in the case of the other nations, the Lord waits patiently to punish them until they have reached the full measure of their sins. Okay, get that. That's a huge distinction. But He does not deal in this way with us. In order that He may not take vengeance on us afterward when our sins have reached their height. Therefore, He never withdraws His mercy from us. Although He disciplines us with calamities, He does not forsake His own people. Let what we have said serve as a reminder. Now, folks, that is a wonderful, wonderful perspective to have, okay? In Revelation, we do have the sense of once the nations have reached their full measure of their sin, God brings wrath. Well, in dealing with His people, He brings wrath. A, a, a wrath that is for the purpose of, of being redemptive and has a sanctifying effect. And so when we go through that, remember that, that one of the reasons Paul writes 
Second uh, Thessalonians and even First Thessalonians is because the Thessalonians believed that they were had had come to the day of the Lord, which was that all, time of ultimate wrath. Because of the persecution and hardship that they were going through, they thought that they had missed the coming of the Lord, and they were now in wrath. And Paul was correcting that when he gives this, this passage that we were talk, looking at today. And so, all of this is to say, when we go through hardship and persecution and trial, it's easy for us to, to think maybe somehow God has abandoned us. But folks, we need to take great solace in the fact that we have been spared from God's ultimate wrath. And even if we face persecution and hardship, it is for the purpose of sancti- our sanctification. We are being purified and being, are being made, made ready for the bridegroom to come, okay? So we need to take great, great solace in that. Daniel 7.25, just briefly, we'll look at these. Daniel 7.25 He will speak about against the Most High and oppress His saints and try to change the set times and laws. The saints will be handed over Him for a time, times, and half a time. In other words, it's for a, a short period of time. Remember that God's wrath upon the wicked and the unrepentant is eternal. It's eternal, okay? So we need to take solace in the fact that we, are not been, we have not been appointed to that, that level of wrath. Um, Daniel 8, 12, first part of Daniel chapter 8, verse 12. Because of rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. Um, again, because of the rebellion of, of Israel at that time, that's why God allowed them to go through that time of, time of wrath. And again, that's what will happen at the, at the end. Um, it, it, it has that effect upon us. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10b through 17 They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. But listen what Paul says to the Christians. But we, also, but we ought also, we ought all, always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to this teaching we passed on to you, whether by word or mouth, mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God of our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. In other words, we have not been appointed to that deception and ultimate wrath, but we have been called to suffer for our sanctification. And finally, Revelation 13 8 through 10. Revelation 13, 8 through 10. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belong to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has, ear to, has an ear to hear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he'll be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. So this period of time is redemptive. It is redemptive. That was Revelation 13, 8 through 10. So all of these things come together. This is the purpose, that the decree would be fulfilled. What has been decreed must be done. The prophetic decree will be fulfilled according to the prophetic timeline. We don't know when this is going to happen. But folks, if we are at the last time, these are the things to look for. 
We must recognize that God has told us in advance, we are not in the dark, we are in the light, so this day will not overtake us, but we need to be prepared. This time of revealing, the time of revealing for the Antichrist is also the time of revealing, next slide, thank you. The time of revealing for the Antichrist is also the time of revealing for the elect. As the Antichrist forces as the Antichrist forces all to worship him, the invisible church will become visible. Okay? That's the key thing. I mean, right now, the, 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 we talk about the visible and the invisible church. The visible church is everybody who calls himself a Christian, but within that, you have the invisible church, which is the true believers. Well, as, as the Antichrist is, is, is revealed and there's this tremendous persecution and hardship and also this, uh, this force of, you know, this force being brought to bear to worship the Antichrist, those who are true believers have the great opportunity then to stand up and be counted as true believers. And folks, that's a great privilege. Remember, whatever we have to suffer is temporary. It's temporary. I'm going to close with 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. Folks, this was written when, I mean, Christians were facing tremendous persecution. Apostle Peter writes this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may, so that you may be overjoyed when, the, when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted, and, and by the way, what Paul's talking about there is the fact that one of the greatest ways that the glory of Christ was revealed is in His suffering, right? When He was put under tremendous suffering, people were able to see in the most amazing way His glory, and the same is true for us. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin. Listen to this. It is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. Okay? Remember that. It's, that it begins with us. God's judgment begins with us. But it is a redemptive judgment. Okay? It is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Folks, no matter what we're going through, realize if we name the name of Christ, if we are faithful to Him, what we're going to go through is nothing compared to what the unrepentant, those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18, it is hard for the righteous to be saved. What will become of the ungodly? And the sinner. So then, those who suffer according to, the, to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to, be, to do good. Folks, that's the call. That's the call for us. No matter what happens in, in the days to come, we bear the name of Christ and we are faithful to Him. And if we suffer, we know that it is a way of glorifying God and we commit ourselves to Him um, and continue to do good. Continue to do good. Even if the whole entire world hates us, and that's what's going to happen, right? You're going to have a dividing line. And, and unfortunately, Bible-believing Christians, those who, who are truly born again, are going to be a very marginalized group. But you know what? It is an honor to bear the name of Christ, and it is an honor to suffer for Him, right? And someday we'll stand before Him 
and we'll lay our crowns before him.